Welcome to episode 64 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Okay, welcome back to another episode. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, sorry, Todd, I'm going to leave you mm. out in this a little bit, but <laughs> you can chime in. I wanted to talk about being a mom, a working mom, um, during the pandemic and just in general during, while working in telepractice. And I, when I first started telepractice, I had a kindergartner and a three-year-old. And so now I have, um, gone through, like I have school age, I've had a newborn, I've had preschool. <laughs> so I haven't quite gotten to the teenager point yet of having teenagers and working, but, um, I've had a lot of varied experiences and, in balancing, um, being a mom and working in telepractice. And so I was thinking about that and some of the different things I've experienced with it and also found an article from presencelearning.com. They put out some blogs and things like that. And um, our current CEO has actually written a book that is called The Good Boss and is about kind of um, making the workplace somewhere that is friendly for women and friendly for moms. And if uh, she's pretty new as a CEO, and if you had... Uh, looked at presence learning in the past and not been happy with some of the things that were going on, I would invite you to look again because I have seen some positive changes based on the different leadership that is there. Um, and it is a place that I am a independent contractor with. But this article that she wrote is Solutions for Working Moms During the Pandemic, One Size Does Not Fit All. And she talks about some things. Some of the tips in there are more for um, a managerial standpoint. So I think if um, maybe looking at them and advocating for those things to happen in your workplace, if you're not in a position of control, but, and I think the nice thing that I've found about telepractice is I do have more control over some of these things in being an independent contractor, um, and being able to say, this is what works for my life. So some of the tips that she mentioned was, uh, taking the guilt and shame out of the equation when women need to rebalance their lives. So one of, um, the things that she said, one of the quotes, let me find it real quick. She just said it so perfectly. She said, it is not failure to be so important and so needed in two places, work and home, that you have to stand up and say that the math doesn't work. There aren't enough hours in the day for you to maintain both your response, your responsibilities to both. And just kind of making that okay for um, people to say, making it okay for yourself to say, in a workplace. And then the second one was respect the decisions women make about work rather than talking them out of their decision or imposing your worldview on them. And I think sometimes as women, we assume that if we work for women, then they will get that. But I've had so many times where you are working for another woman and they say things like, well, I did it. So, so can you you know, or I, I was, you know, a working single mom and you're married. And if I did it, so can you, and that's doesn't, it doesn't work. You have to respect the decision that they've made for their, um, their life and their work-life balance. And then the other one was, uh, it says solutions to complicated problems are never one size fit 
fits all. And it talks about how we as working women are problem solvers. And so to let us be problem solvers, to let us be creative in, in figuring out solutions and knowing what will work. And she talks about some of those solutions could be reduced hours. It could be a leave of absence. It could be kind of a um, divide and conquer kind of thing and, or exiting the workforce. And I've had some experiences with all of those. I know, um, even this summer, oh, here we talk about work-life balance. <laughs> you can hear my child screaming in the background. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect for <laughs> what we're talking about. But, um, I've, you know, I stepped away from a lot of, uh, private clients. I usually take in the summer this summer, because I was like, I, need to move my family. I need to have my kids be the focused. And even going into the school year, I'm looking at, you know, um, reducing some of the hours I'm working so I can be there when my kids get home from a new school and things like that. And I have, I do have so much guilt. I'm like, but these kids need me. Speaking of both, both kids sets of kids need me. My <laughs> own kids need me and my kids that I work with need me. Um, but sometimes you just really have to take a step back from it. Uh, so I've reduced hours. I've, um, I took a year off when my husband graduated from school and it was his turn to be the breadwinner for a little bit and, um, found out that did not work well <laughs> for me. So came back to the workforce and, and another thing that she talks about is making it easier for women to rejoin the workforce. Mm-hmm. If they've been gone, not penalizing them for taking that time. So, and I've done the divide and conquer. I know when the f- pandemic first hit, I was, those first couple of weeks before I knew what my husband's responsibilities would be at his work were really scary. And I didn't feel comfortable having anyone come into our home on a regular basis to watch my kids. So, um, we did kind of a, okay, I'll work in the morning, you work in the afternoon and we'll make this work. So all of those have been things that I've done at different points in my career. And I think, um, just looking at what can, what solutions can you come up with and how can you be flexible and do it in a way that's maybe not the typical and accepted way, but works for you. Yeah, I, I totally get that. And for me, I'm even a little concerned about going back to campus and being back on campus where you know I am. And, and I've gotten used to this schedule now where I'm, you know, I go two days a week to the hospital. I teach online from home. Um, and I kind of like that, you know, and I, I have more control over my days. I think I'm more productive, but now I'm going to be driving into campus and teaching in person, which I do love teaching in person. Don't get me wrong, but it's, you know, it's going to be a shift and I'm going to be sort of, I'm going to feel probably out of balance for a little while because it's mm-hmm. not what I've gotten myself used to over the past especially with COVID over the past year or so. But I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think we have to uh, always take those steps where we can preserve our own mental health and our own work life, work life you know, outside of work balance. Yep. And, you know, some people say, you know, you should just have a life and work should you know, you should love work and it shouldn't really matter. But I, I don't know if I buy into all, into all of that. Uh, I think you need to have time where you can focus on your family or can focus on yourself and do something for you. 
that uh, helps you deal with a situation or just you need a break to go do something that you just want to do you know, without kids or without husband or without wife or yeah. whatever the case may be. And so I think it's, uh, if anything, I think what uh, the past year or so has, has shown us is this importance about mental health, that we all need to take it very seriously, that we need to have that balance um, so that we stay mentally healthy and that we can do a good job, both at right. home with our families as well as uh, professionally and whatever career we may have. But one thing you were talking about in terms of, of women working for women, and as you know, you know, I'm wanted by the FBI, so I have to change jobs a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and so all the jobs I've had, all the different places I've been, I have I have seen in my career, not in every situation, but where I have had a a female boss, I got the impression that the female boss is a lot harder on the females that were on my same level, so to speak, than they were on me or the other males. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, mm -hmm. I think it, it's not sort of an automatic thing that the female boss is going to be supportive of females that they are managing mm -hmm. or supervising. And I have yep. certainly seen that yep. uh, over the course of my career yep. um, where it's, they, they've really been tough on, on other people, other females. And I think, and, and from an education standpoint, standpoint too, I think that um, some of the education that I went through, they were harder on some of the like married and uh, mm -hmm. SLPs students that had children too, and that mm -hmm. they were very much like, no, we're not going to give you any breaks, give, give you mm -hmm. any concessions, uh, adjust this at all for the life situation that you're in. And I think right. both of those things need to change. Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and, and maybe again, maybe with COVID and we've seen the need for some of this, maybe right we can make uh, some of this stuff uh, a little more permanent in terms of how jobs are structured mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. you know i think you know there's there's certainly proof now over the past year that a lot of jobs don't need to be in an office a lot of people don't need to do their jobs right in an office they can be somewhere else uh and do it differently yep and still be successful and yep. so i so maybe because of all of this, you know, one thing that will come out of it is we'll have a little more freedom to structure our jobs and work hours a little differently that helps support more of that balance. Yeah. 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 So we'll see how it all goes. Um, so on, on today, we have, uh, we'll say, a former student of mine from the University of Akron, Mary LaFrazo. And Mary works at... Uh, Nationwide Children's Hospital here in Columbus, Ohio. And she is doing a wonderful job there as an SLP. And she's been doing a lot of telepractice and started in grad school when she was working with me with some families. And uh, she's continued to do that. So I'm excited to talk to her. Great.
Hi, it's Todd Houston. I just wanted to reach out to you, our really talented, wonderful listeners that we have, and just ask you if you want to join us. Yes. Would you like to be a content creator for the 3C Digital Media Network? We need you. We need content creators to come and join us. So if you have a blog, a webinar, a course, or maybe even a podcast that you'd like to do, we would love to speak with you. So please, if you have some ideas, email me at Todd, T-O-D-D, at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I'll reach out, and we can have a conversation. And so hopefully we could have you develop whatever you'd like to develop and work with us. Again, Todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I will be in touch. Now, back to the interview. Well, Mary, welcome to the podcast. If you don't mind, introduce yourself, but as a little bit of a disclaimer, you are a former student of, of mine, graduate student at, at uh, University of Akron and uh, speech-language pathology, but share more about your background and how you got into telepractice. Yeah, so first of all, I want to thank you both for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, like you said, my name is Mary LaFrazo. I am a pediatric speech-language pathologist. Um, I'm currently working at Nationwide Children's Hospital out of Columbus, Ohio, um, and I am specialized in auditory verbal therapy and currently working towards my certification to become a listening and spoken language specialist. Um, but I also have my, my caseload is very um, varied with a lot of children with a variety of diagnoses. So that's really awesome. Um, and basically, it all kind of started in my first year of graduate school um, when Todd was accepting students into his uh, specialization program in which he taught um, graduate students about auditory verbal therapy. And part of that included teaching about telehealth. Um, so my first year as a grad student, he was accepting students. So I applied and I got accepted and the rest is history. Um, I do auditory verbal therapy and I've practiced via telehealth almost every single day of my career since then. So I'm very thankful. Um, and I just have a passion for both of those things. Um, and I'm excited to kind of do my part in educating other professionals, um, in those two areas of the field, because I think they're both really on the rise, um, especially with telehealth this past year. So I'm excited to talk more about it. And and so uh, before Nationwide, you were at DePaul uh, over in Pittsburgh. That's right. So I worked um, when after I graduated um, from college, I moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I worked at DePaul. Um, which is an option school. It's a school for children who are deaf and hard of hearing. Um, and we teach listening and spoken language. Um, so there I had the opportunity to be um, the early intervention speech pathologist. Um, and I worked also with children from like birth up to eighth grade, we saw children. Um, so that was a really awesome opportunity because I got to kind of see the school aspect of things. And um, we had the opportunity to do telehealth um, there. We would be, you know, with the student, um, at school, and then we would have the parents sign on and kind of do telehealth that way so that the parent could kind of be at school with their child and see a picture of like what we were doing during the school day. 
Um, so that was really awesome. And then I made the move just this past year. Um, I just met my one year market nationwide um, to a hospital. So it's kind of been nice to have both of those settings, but see the similarities and the differences. Well, we had uh, Shannon on Shannon Sharma on um, way back when, when we first, uh, within the first couple of months, I think, when we started the podcast and she was at that point uh, finishing at DePaul before going to California. But she discussed sort of that reverse telepractice kind of model, which I found, you know, very fascinating. And she had done a presentation, I think, uh, AG Bell or something that I saw. Yeah. I thought that was a really innovative way of, of working with the child, you know, the child being at the school, but the parent is brought into the session, you know, through telepractice, uh, through Zoom or whatever platform, and and the parent interacts in the session, and and she's still being coached by Shannon or by the professional, and and so it's sort of that re- what she was referring to it as reverse uh, parent coaching kind of model, which I thought was very very innovative, and so uh, I, I'm. I, I hear she's still doing it. So I'm, I'm glad she's able to do that in California. Yeah, I'm very close friends with Shannon. I think she definitely just like paved the way with that. She really just thought outside the box. And I think that's something we think about with speech therapy in schools a lot. You know, maybe you're pulling a kid out for 15 minutes and just kind of doing a session really quick. Um, but there's no reason that the parents can't be involved in that. Um Shannon really like led with her example and, you know, she would um, just tell parents, you know, we're doing this. You can just sign on for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever time you have. And the parents really enjoyed it and they were really excited to see their kids at school Um, and the students. They loved it. They would run down the hall because it's time for speech. It's time to see mom and dad. Um, And we even had families signing on like dad was at work. Mom was at home with the kids we're there. So we have this whole like big Mm -hmm. zoom meeting for, you know, a 30 minute speech session. But um, yeah, I think it was incredible. And um, yeah, Shannon's doing great things with that. So I'm really thankful to have learned from her with that. Cause I think that that's something we should think about going forward. Yeah. I think it is a way that we can like, not, I don't know, like put telepractice away in a closet now that we're back in person, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a way that because parents are used to getting on zoom and kids are used to interacting with zoom, that it can be something that, you know, can kind of seamlessly be part of that school, even in person, still letting those um, parents know what's going on. Cause I think parents appreciated that too. We've had lots of parents say like, Oh, now that they were at home doing speech, I knew all of these things that I didn't know that they were working on before. So I think that's a great connection because that's a lot of times what's missing when we have kids in schools is getting back to that parent connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think every single party appreciated it. So it, it is kind of different when you think about it, but I would encourage like everyone to just like give it a shot and kind of see because it's so gratifying when you see like, you know, how much joy it brings to the parent, how much joy it brings to the student. And then, I mean, it's just connecting all of the dots. So yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. So how was the transition? You mentioned transitioning from, you know, a school setting uh, to a more generalized caseload, but still having some kids with hearing loss on your caseload uh, and being more in a hospital setting. What's, what's been the, Mm -hmm. the, um, 
the big transition aspects of that, with the pros and cons of transitioning from one to the other? Yeah. So um, my position at DePaul, we had around like 55 students total. So we were a very close-knit group. Um, we had, I think, six or seven speech pathologists at the time. So we had very small caseloads. It was a very, um, you know, close-knit group, which was incredible. There's a lot of flexibility in that. Um, so that was great. And then moving, transitioning from that environment to Nationwide is a very sizable, well-known hospital, um, which is something I was really excited about. But I will have to say something that I was a little bit nervous about in the beginning was that varied caseload because so much of my graduate experience was specialized and my clinical experiences were specialized. Um, but when it came down to it, I had those foundational skills to teach language, to teach speech, to you know coach parents. And when it comes down to it, you know, that applies to children who are deaf and hard of hearing, but it applies to children who need speech and language development no matter what. And so I learned that pretty quickly right off the bat. And so um, that was reassuring. You know, you always go into something with those insecurities, but then you kind of figure it out. Um, so that was great. Um, in terms of like the caseload size and all of those kinds of things, obviously that was a big change. Um, it took adjusting too. Um, I tell a lot of people, you know, like I feel like every two weeks I'm making a few adjustments and then testing it out for two weeks and then making a few adjustments and mm -hmm. testing it out. Um, but I've loved every single bit of it. I think it's incredible. I'm so thankful that I've been able to experience both of those. And I think that everyone should give themselves a chance to do that. Um, Cause you know, there's hard things and great things about both situations. And so, sure. yeah, I feel like now I'm, I've been in it for a year. And so I'm very well adjusted and I'm comfortable in my own shoes and, you know, ready to start developing more programming and things like that. So it was definitely a transition, but, you know, we all have the same insecurities about things. So it's just helpful to get advice from others and see what works for them. So I have um, a question for you. Do you work with swallowing at all? Because I think my fear in going into a hospital setting is if I work in the hospital, I'm going to have to do pediatric feeding. And that is not a big area of my expertise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was also kind of something that I was considering even in my interviews. I'm like, well, what are kind of these? Um, but thankfully, and I think this is the way it is at a lot of hospitals, we have competencies that you need to complete. So um, like as an auditory verbal practitioner, um, we have um, in an auditory verbal, like an early intervention uh, competency. And then for children over age three, there's a competency for that. So those are competencies I have. And then we also have, you know, AAC, apraxia of speech, swallowing and feeding. Um, so children who need that type of um, care are triaged as that competency. Right. So that kind of delays from that, but it is really helpful. I would say um, being in the large organization, there are so many people just at my fingertips and there's such a big network. Um, so, you know, if I have a child who, you know, might have some difficulty with something feeding, I can just, it's an email away. I can ask somebody on the feeding team. And so that's something that's been really helpful and really awesome to just have that network of support. And I think that might not I'm coming from Utah where we have lots of like, this is the only hospital in this area. <laughs> that might not always be the case. It sounds like you're in a very big organization, but I think there is still is that opportunity to like connect to someone who um, maybe knows more in that area and not be afraid of, oh, I don't know this going into a job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think 
we all have that in common. The field of speech language pathology is just right. so broad. Um, right. And I think it's, I mean, I would mm-hmm. almost say it's, it's broader than most other health professions. It's just so difficult. So it's, it's I'm very like thankful that I decided to specialize. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, some days it's like, oh, I just wish I knew everything about all these different areas. That would be so wonderful. Um, right. but we're always learning from each other and, you know, figuring it out. So I, I tend to find, and this, this is uh, not, not speaking ill of other disorders or anything like that. But if I end up getting a referral and, and I just, you know, do assessments and the, and the child has typical hearing, it's like, well, you know, it's easy to work with this kid because he does, he's not deaf. And so I'm like, okay, we can just do some speech or some language or whatever. And he's, you know, provided there's nothing else going on, you know, we can help him get caught up. Uh, or I refer them on, you know, and so it's it's kind of interesting once you get into this is, you know, oh, it doesn't have here. I have to worry about that. I can just focus on this. This is more straightforward. And so I, I I've always thought if you can teach kids mm-hmm. with hearing loss to to develop spoken language, then you can do just about anything in that pediatric world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know. I mean, myself and a lot of my like fellow graduate students that I was in the program with, I think that's a concern that a lot of us have. And you reassured us time and time again, you know, you have the foundational skills. It's not like, you know, it's hard to take that step, but when it comes down to it, you know, we're all practitioners. We all know how to, how to do these foundational things and it. Yeah. It really does transfer to each kid, no matter what their diagnosis is or their situation is. So I can definitely agree with that. It's all typical development. I mean, once you, Right. Focus on what do we do to get this kid back to where they need to be, mm-hmm. you know, then the hearing loss stuff kind of fades away. So talk about your telepractice, uh, how it's set up there, because because um, as you know, I'm at Akron Children's uh, two days a week and we are doing telepractice. I'm just, I'm just curious in terms of just structurally and and how does it how does it work there at nationwide children's yeah so we um something that i'm really proud about is during the the shutdown and all of that i think um i mean i started my position here in june 2020 so it was like right in the midst of the shutdown and everything um so they had kind of made that seamless transition to telehealth before i came um but a lot of you know in the beginning everyone was transitioned to telehealth now we have kind of some in person, some via telehealth. Um, And it has just, I mean, it's been really great. I think families are um, kind of more empowered by it. Um, There's just a lot, you know, everyone's hesitant going into it and um, thinking of it from someone's point of view, like a practitioner's point of view, who's like never done telehealth, that would be kind of difficult to be thrown into it, which I think a lot of, a lot of people were. Um, so it was difficult in the beginning, but, um, I think everyone's just really enjoyed it. Um, and it's been really helpful to even families that have come in person. If they have a week where they're sick, they'll just call and say, you know, can we switch Mm -hmm. to telehealth this week? And I think it's great because there's that continuation of care that Mm -hmm. we wouldn't have necessarily had in the past. Um, so kids don't need to miss weeks of sessions. Um, and so that's been really helpful. And if you don't mind, what, 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 um, platform did you guys end up using? So we are, we use zoom, Zoom, the zoom. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And everything is done through um, the EMR through Epic. So we're able to put like a secure link and everything and connect that way. Um, so yeah, we do use Yeah. Akron. Is that something that you're using at Akron Children's? Heck no, unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know why they chose the platform that they did, but there it's not very mm-hmm. common. Um, it's more for business and corporate. It's it's video, V Y D E O. See, probably never heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I have no idea why they chose that. It is certainly not user friendly, and uh, one of the. Th- things that we're wrestling with right now is, you know, a lot of the websites that we want to use in our sessions, the hospital blocks because of firewalls and stuff. I've had that happen in schools too. I I go to pull up a video and I'm so excited to use it and the firewall on their side has blocked it. (laughs) Right. It is so frustrating. And uh, anyway, so we're wrestling with some of those issues uh, at Akron Children's. Um, but, you know, we're stuck with this platform uh, for, for the time being. And, and hopefully at some point we can give them more feedback about where they should go. Because I, I know of other uh, colleagues in the field that work at children's hospitals, and they did Zoom for Healthcare through Epic, which is what we have Epic. And, uh, and, and it's worked beautifully, and they love it, you know, for the most part. So, you know... Yeah, and I think a lot of it is just very, like, trial and error. You know, I filled out so many surveys on, you know, how do you feel about this aspect of telehealth? How do you feel about evaluation through telehealth? Because we've been evaluating children through that. So, yeah, there's we've come a long way, but there's still a lot to go and a lot to learn from it for sure. (laughs) What's your um, kind of, what have you learned from it so far? Do you have any words of wisdom that you would tell yourself when you were starting? Um, words of wisdom, I would say, um, this is kind of the advice that I've given to anyone who kind of asked about telehealth is honestly to just go into it with an open mind and to give yourself some grace, um, which I think is how you can kind of approach, you know, our careers as pediatric speech pathologists. Um, there are 100 different ways a session can go and you need to be okay with every single one of those 100 ways and be able to adapt and figure it out. Um, I think something that's different with telehealth is that, you know, they're at home. A lot of people are like, how, how do you have a session with a two-year-old in front of a monitor? Like, how do you get anything done or track your goals? And I'm like, well, you know what? You might not come out of a telehealth session with the 20 trials on each goal that you might've gotten before, but you might come out of a telehealth session, um, you know, leaving the session after empowering a parent to learn about how to work on a goal and having a parent be excited about working on that goal throughout the week, which is so much more powerful than the 20 trials that you get in your in-person session at a table. Um, So that's, it's just to be open-minded and to kind of adapt and figure it out because there are really special things that happen in a telehealth session that don't necessarily happen in an in-person session in an office Um, So that's what I've learned the most is to just um, take advantage of that, like parent, professional, child relationship that happens in a telehealth session. And that can be scary when you're starting telehealth because it's kind of the unknown, Um, but it's all worth it. It's giving up. Yeah, it's giving up control Mm -hmm. that 
knowing everything that's going to happen in that session and checking off your little to-do list of what was going to happen in that session and kind of like, okay, let's talk to my parents and see where the parent takes the session. (laughs) And I think that's the stereotype we all have. We all love to plan and have, oh, I have these eight activities and these wonderful toys from my closet and all of that. And some of that goes out the door in telehealth, but it's okay because there are some better things that happen because of it. Being flexible, as I think, is a key to any telepractice experience because you just never know, you know, with everything that happens within that session. I know you have to be flexible when you're working with children in general, but with telepractice and you're connecting with the child and the parent is included, you have to be flexible sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I find, too, you know, it's kind of nerve wracking for parents as well. Like they're going into this nervous that their child's not going to participate or they're not going to sit at the computer and, you know, do exactly what we say. So I found it helpful to, at the beginning of the session, just tell the parent, like, look, this is how this might look. It could look a different way and that's okay. And we'll just kind of figure it out and adapt as we go to kind of like take the pressure off of them because, you know, I'm the one in a quiet office with my computer at a table and they're the one at home with Mm -hmm. all the kids and everything happening and the dogs in the background. So I think that it's helpful to tell the parents too, like, this isn't all on you. And this is just an experience we're going to go through and we're going to adapt it how we need. So do you have, do you have any go-to materials or activities that have worked well for you on telepractice? I would say going into my telehealth sessions, and this might just be because I'm so used to kind of like the auditory verbal strategies and that kind of thing. They're so naturalistic and play-based and based on the home environment routines Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. So going into a telehealth session, I honestly don't use a ton of materials. I like to use, you know, like, are you having snack time right now? Or what toys have you been playing with? Or, you know, do we want to play with the dog this week? Like just very naturalistic and adding the goals into that. Um, But with that, some things that I have enjoyed adding into my sessions is um, I've started with a lot of my families doing weekly show and tell. So I'll just tell them each session, like, make sure you have a toy ready for next week or show me your book or your favorite shirt, whatever you want. Cause they're at home and they have all of their cool things there. Um, so we'll just start the session with that. Like, Oh, what do you have to show me this week? Um, and that's a great way to like jot down a language sample or to start a conversation. Um, so that's something I've really enjoyed doing um, recently. Um, Some other things that I think have been helpful, and this is kind of just connecting um, myself to them at home. Um, I use Google Drive a lot, um, and I'll just have the parents, you know, like keep a list on their phone, on their Google Drive of all the toys they have at home, or keep a list of all the things the kids said that week. So we just have a a running language sample. So that's been really helpful. Um, And then I would say a third thing that I thought was helpful through all of this is boom learning, which I'm sure we all know the boom decks and everything, all those fun games that we use during our sessions, um, having like classrooms and students. Um, so I go through there and I have my classrooms and I, um, like add a student for each patient that I have. Um, and then I can assign different games to them. And so I'll tell them like, Oh, I added some new games to your account. And so they can kind of go in there throughout the week and play games that are based off of their goals. Um, and I think parents really like that too, because like it's a fun computer game, but they're still working on their speech. Um, yeah. So those are some fun things that I've been enjoying recently during my sessions. I like that. I've used Boom in sessions, but I haven't been great at like 
oh, well, I haven't um, sent a lot of homework home with them. I do have a private client that I've done that with, but I like that idea of, you know, taking the time to set up mm-hmm. the classrooms and assign them the different activities that they can do for follow-up. Yeah, it's fun. And it's, it's definitely a lot. There's like a lot of kind of right. planning in the background, but once you have your, your boom library all, you know, packed with some good things, it's kind of a quick thing, but yeah, yeah. started slow for sure. And then it kind of gets the ball rolling. Great suggestions. So, Mary, now it's time for the most important part of this whole process, this whole interview, and that is our moment of Zen. Are you, are you ready? Oh, yeah, I'm ready. As, I as you say <laughs> that nervously. Uh, so, I'm here for it. Um, I'm adaptable. <laughs> good, good. You're adaptable. You're flexible. A good practitioner, right. a telepractitioner. That I am, so I need to prove my point. There you go. <laughs> So we have uh, a questionnaire that we've developed uh, of 10 questions, and you can answer these uh, in using short answers or as long or, or long answers or as long as you want. So whatever moves you. Okay. Okay. So here we go. All right. I'm ready. What's the most used app on your phone? Uh, honestly, my notes. <laughs> I write down everything all day, every day. I have like, I think like 400. (laughs) Okay, good, good. What was the last TV series you streamed? Oh, goodness. I haven't watched TV in so long. I think I was watching The Good Doctor. The Good Doctor. Someone else mentioned that the other day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's a favorite book? A favorite book. Like that Mm -hmm. one. You know, I was telling someone this the other day. It's been so long. I don't, I don't like read books for pleasure. I have it in so long. And I was like, I feel like I'm always reading like self-help books or something or a textbook since I've been studying so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure. I don't think I have a favorite book right now. I need to get on that though. I've downloaded all the audiobook um, apps. So that's on my list of things to do. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Um What's your favorite genre of music? Uh, honestly, I like a little bit of everything, but I would say um, just like the pop, top hits, that kind of thing. But I like a little bit of everything. I'll listen to country. I'll listen to rock, a little bit of everything. Not, not too. You're e- <laughs> exactly. That's good. Good. Um, who would you like to have dinner with? Dead or alive? Oh, goodness. Who would I like to have dinner with? Uh, Let's see. I think, you know, someone I would like to have dinner with because I think she's like one of the most influential people and like everyone loves her. I think Mother Teresa. She would be a great one. I think about her a lot. Her saying was like, do small things with great love. And I think that that's important Mm -hmm. for everyone. And she's respected by like everyone across the world. So I think that that would be really cool. Good answer. Um, what? Or excuse me. Where is the most exotic or farthest place you've been? The farthest place I've been is Australia. <laughs> <laughs> um, in graduate school, I had a clinical placement there um, at here in say in Brisbane, um, and it was wonderful. I loved every second of it. A lot of people were like, you know, you better be careful. It's like America, but it's better. I can't say that they're wrong. 
because it's pretty great. So I hope to return there sometime mm-hmm. soon because um, that's like my second home. I love it. It was an incredible experience. <laughs> good, good. What's the scariest thing you've ever done? And you can define scary in whatever way you want to. Wow. I don't, I have, don't live that interesting of a life. I feel like I haven't done anything that scary. Um, recently, I mean, this wasn't like that scary or high thrill, but I was in a kayak and there were alligators swimming towards me. So we'll count that. That was a little bit scary in the moment. It was all right. We made it out of it, but that's as scary as I have right now. <laughs> that that would be scary. That That counts. Um, what is a pet peeve of yours? A pet peeve of mine. Which one should I pick? <laughs> um, let's see. I would say something that's a pet peeve of mine is just like messiness. <laughs> I like to keep a clean, organized environment. And don't get me wrong, I will be messy at times, but like if I need to sit down and like do a project or something, I need to like clean the room before I can sit down and think. So I wish I wasn't that way. I wish I could just like work in a messy environment because my environment is messy sometimes, but yeah, that's something that. Oh no. Bothers you. Yeah. No, that's what my office looks like right now. <laughs> That does not mean just because that's my pet peeve does not mean I'm I'm, I'm not messy person. <laughs> I strive for that. Yeah, poor Mary's. I know poor Mary's staring at my half unpacked office <laughs> as we're recording this. <laughs> she'll 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 fly out and help you organize everything. Two more. So if you didn't choose your current profession, what profession would you like to try? I think a profession that would be really cool, and it's something that I actually considered prior to speech pathology, is to be a child life specialist. Very good. Yeah. Um, I love the medical field in that kind of area, and they are just such like an intimate relationship with the family and the kids, which is similar to what we have as speech pathologists. But I think that that would just be a really awesome job. Cool. Yeah. They they do a a wonderful job, and I I, Mm -hmm. I admire the the ones that I've encountered and worked with. Last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Ooh, um, come on in. <laughs> Good job. I don't know. I haven't keep walking. That, but yeah, welcome to the party. Keep, keep on walking. Yeah, keep on exactly. Walking. <laughs> I don't need to ask you any questions. Come on. Not sure that, that would be great. the reality, but that's let's let's hope. sounds good sounds good so mary if uh some of our listeners want to reach out to you how could they contact you yeah they can contact me um i can give you my phone number um my email don't give it email but yeah (laughs) i can give you my email um i'm on linkedin so those are both avenues that they can find me at And your and your email, best email. Yeah. So my email is my name, Mary Lafrezo at gmail.com. And um, my LinkedIn would be the same, Mary Lafrezo. Awesome. Well, Mary, thank you for joining us on the podcast and best of luck with everything that you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate what both of you are doing. And I am honored that you invited me to be on the podcast. So thank you. 
Thank you, Mary, for joining us. And I have to say to all of my listeners, Mary was definitely one of the best graduate students I've ever worked with. And now she is just this phenomenal young woman who is uh, taking the world by storm. And so whether it's telepractice or working with kids with hearing loss in the listening and spoken language area, she is someone to watch. And I am so grateful to have a, a great relationship with her and to see her continue to do well in the field. And with that, thank you for joining us. Please leave us a five-star review. That always helps us to attract new listeners and to grow this podcast, which is what we're trying to do. And with that, we'll see you next week. Be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network. Thank you.